The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. We're in a series called um, Galatians, The Gospel, Freedom, and Life in Christ. And we're on week five. And this is a really pivotal point in the, the book. It switches from, hey, you're freed, to life in Christ. And I have to say, that is a, it's an exciting thing for me to get to preach on. I love um, that transition where Paul says, you're free, you're free, you're free. Now, this is what it looks like. And it reminds me of the stories that, that God's people have um, throughout time. And I enjoy that. About two months ago, I ran into a guy that uh, was talking about stories and specifically six-word stories. And he said, there's this urban legend, which means no one knows if it's really true or not, um, about Ernest Hemingway, that Ernest Hemingway was offered a challenge. And this challenge came from a woman, and she said, Ernest, or Mr. Hemingway, or whatever, uh, can you write a story that's only six words? So he went back, and he went to the drawing board, and he drew up a story, and this is the story. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. In six words, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. This man took us kind of to the depths and then made us wonder why. And to me, it's, you can kind of take, you can take uh, six-word stories and you can look at it from lots of different perspectives. You could s- tell something super dramatic or deep or that wells up all sorts of emotion. Or you can go to the lighter side of life. And I'm stealing these from somebody, the same guy I had this conversation with. But he said, just bear it. Think about what this would look like in your daily life. Write six-word stories for your friends or the businesses or restaurants you come across. So, example, Taco Bell. Outside the bun, inside the bathroom. Okay? (laughs) Let's be honest. That is Taco Bell. Or Little Caesars. It's five bucks for a reason. Or David Hasselhoff. America's Got Talent. I do not. My personal favorite is Mike Tyson's. Friends, countrymen, lend me your ears. (laughs) Um, I love these little six-word stories because it shapes things in a different way. It makes you think, oh, how could I organize um, things that I see or my life in in six words to tell a story? And so I was thinking about this again this week, and I kind of re-listened to a podcast of this guy that I had the conversation with two months ago. And I was thinking, okay, what's my story in six words? Can I do it? Just as kind of a fun exercise, and you guys can do this as well. And this is what I came up with. Offer people life every single day. Offer people life every single day. I'm a pastor, and you guys are like, okay, way to go. That's great. But um, I think... I don't know. That's the story that I came up with, because if God has an abundant life for us both on here on earth and for eternity, maybe he's put me in a place where I can 
where I can offer that to people every single day. So that's my six-word story that I've come up with right now. Um, This sermon has a six-word story, kind of an identifying point. This is where we're headed. And if you are a note-taker and you want to just take this down and then just check out or go to kids' ministry, you can do that. Today's uh, six-word story is die to flesh, live by spirit. Die to flesh and live by the Spirit. I think this answers one of the questions that we kind of internally have and that Paul is starting to answer in our uh, scripture for this morning. And it's a question that the church has answered in many different ways or Christians have answered in many different ways throughout time. Uh, And this question is, how do we live today? What does life look like today? You can look through the book of Acts or the New Testament and see how God's people lived in their day. Or you can look in the Old Testament and see how the Hebrew people lived in their day. Or you can read great biographies about Christians throughout the centuries and see how they lived in their day. But what does it look like for us today? And I think Paul answers to that, and it's timeless. And so we meditate on it and figure out what does it look like for us today. And so uh, I kind of see a dichotomy here. So if you're a Christian... Um, there are a couple different ways you can, you can cut it. One, you can follow the rules, okay? And you can either find or download or uh, figure out, I'm going to do these things, and this is what life as a Christian for me is going to look like. And you can say, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to go to my small group, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to find an old lady helper across the street, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take meals to people that are sick, all these different things. I'm going to fast and pray. And all of these things are good. Spiritual disciplines, I think, are amazing. But there's a thin little part where it could turn and go south. And when it turns and goes south is is when you trust in your list of things to do versus what those point to. When you trust in the things versus the person beside the things. When you turn Christianity into Listianity. And that can be dangerous. But, to be honest, it's, it's easier to make the list and check off the boxes of the list, the list. That's one way. The other way is to go to the complete other side of the spectrum and say, Okay, thank you for salvation, God. Uh, I'm saved. Thanks a lot. I'll see you in heaven. I'm going to go do whatever the heck I want to do. Because... Uh, it's grace alone, faith alone. I don't have to work on anything. So I'm just going to camp here and know that, that I'm good, and I'll see you in 80 years when I check out. That's one way to do it. But that doesn't work either. And it doesn't work for a couple of reasons. One, it's confusing. If you are a, a non, or you don't self-identify as a Christian, um, you can look at that and say, well, that's weird. Jesus came into this person's life and and changed them or is in the process of changing them, and they kind of just walk off and do whatever the heck they want. That can be confusing. So it's confusing on that level, but it's also confusing on the level of, well, God kind of has stuff for us to do here. It's not just all about escaping to some box in the sky. So he's got stuff for us to do. So you could do the 
legalistic, super religious route, or you could do the hedonistic route over here where the king is not Jesus, but it's my comfort and my pleasure. And neither one kind of satisfies. So, so Paul, in this text, talks about how do we navigate life? How do we do life well? And so let's go into what he says and figure out what he's talking about. Verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set you free, has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He starts out by recapping, by summarizing the whole book that came before. Chapters 1 through 4, he's like, For freedom Christ has set you free. So don't submit to that yoke again. And if you're not familiar with what a yoke is, a yoke is an agricultural uh, device. I got to see one about a year and a half ago. My dad and I drove the Oregon Trail, and we stopped in this place in Nebraska, and I took this picture, which I should probably show you, but I don't have it with me. But it's this massive uh, wooden device that you put on two livestock, and you put a cart behind it, and it helps you move and navigate whatever task you have as a farmer with your oxen or your donkeys or your draft horses. And for a good Jewish person, a yoke, taking on the yoke of, taking on Yahweh's yoke, the yoke of the law or the Torah or his way of instruction, that was a really good thing. It was good to take on his yoke, his way of life. Two weeks ago, I had a whiteboard out here. Tanner said this morning, are you going to bring the whiteboard again? Where's the whiteboard? And I'm like, done it two weeks, two times in a row for me? I'm going to set it aside. Um, but on that whiteboard, I said, we kind of marked out historically where we got the law from. In 30 seconds, uh, God's people were in slavery in Egypt, making bricks, 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 bricks. They cried out to God. God sent Moses. Moses took them out. They wandered the wilderness, and then he gave them the Torah, the law, the way of life and instruction for them. And he said, put this yoke upon yourself. And so from the time they were wandering in the desert till about Jesus' time, they carried this yoke. And the yoke went from being some, some form of, of, of a way of life to, to being heavy and burdensome. And that's because the yoke of the law was meant to be temporary. And it was meant to be temporary until the time when they came to Jesus. And so if you're a good Jewish person, the, the yoke was good, but it was temporary. Jesus comes on the scene in uh, Matthew verse 11, 28, and he says, Come to me, all who are heavy, or all who labor and are heavy laden. He kind of knows what they're going through. And he says, and I will give you rest. <sighs> Big exhale. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. During that time where they put the yoke on themselves, there was certain groups of people who, who took this yoke and tried to make it heavier who tried to make it not a, a way of life, but an, a, a list of rules to live by. And they would oppress the people and, and elevate themselves by saying, I carry, or I do these rules, and, and you don't, so I'm better than you. Jesus said, come to me, you who labor 
and find rest. And Paul's, so when Paul says, don't go back to that yoke of slavery, he's like, don't go back to that law. Look back to Jesus. His yoke is easy. and His burden is light. And this is why Paul says, this right off the bat, he's like, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit again. Don't go back to that. You were never meant for that. This is what you're meant for. We move on to verse 13 and 14. He says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And you guys know this. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. He sets up this kind of dichotomy. He says, freedom isn't meant for satisfying the flesh, for feeding the things that that just go towards me. He says, no, freedom is meant for serving one another. Freedom is meant for serving one another. Solomon, King Solomon, uh, figured this out. A lot of people say that he is the teacher, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes. And he kind of, he was, he asked for wisdom from God rather than money or power or whatever. And God gave him wisdom and then all the other stuff kind of happened afterwards. And, and he's reflecting on his life and the life that he sees around him. And he says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's not about amassing things for me. It's about serving your neighbor. I went to a school in Minnesota for undergraduate, and it was called Concordia St. Paul. Go Golden Bears. And there was a professor there who had a white beard, and he had the glasses, and he smiled. And and he was just great because he was that typical professor with the elbow patches. And so we're talking one day, and he's like, Barrett, my dissertation, I've boiled it down to eight words. And this was about a decade ago, so I can't go back and say... Could you get it down to six? That'd be much better for my sermon on the 13th of March, blah, blah, blah. But he got it down to eight words. And he said, this is the Christian life. He wrote hundreds of pages on it, and then he distilled it down to eight words. And he said, the Christian life is freedom in Christ for service to the neighbor. Freedom in Christ for service to the neighbor. There's a a word for this. Um, in theology, and it's called vocation. And everyone has a vocation. You might have multiple vocations. You could be a husband or a wife, uh, a son or a daughter. You could work at a job or play in a sports team or arts and do arts and crafts with the people in your neighborhood. I don't know. But wherever you find yourself, it could be part of your vocation. And he said, freedom in Christ is for service to the neighbor. There's this dichotomy. We have don't satisfy the flesh, but serve the other person. And, and we see, we kind of get like in our gut what the works of the flesh are. But if you don't, Paul has a wonderful list for us. So when the flesh is evident, it looks like this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he says, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And I think it's, he throws that last line in there, not inherit the kingdom of God, because when you do that, you're aiming to satisfy yourself, and you're not being driven, you're not living by the Spirit. He sets up this dichotomy. It's either flesh or it's spirit. Flesh versus spirit. And he says, there's this war inside of you going on. Verse 17, he kind of describes that war. For the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I like to think of this in football terms, American football, not soccer. Uh, For me, this is what it looks like. When they're opposed to each other, and the Spirit kind of prompts something inside of me that I should do, and the flesh takes over, it's kind of like the stiff arm, right? It's kind of like, nope, we'll do that later, or nope, you're not tackling me. I'm doing this my own way. It's the sinful stiff arm. Paul says this in a different way. He says, there are things that I want to do that I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Um, And then looking at this list, I'm thinking to myself, the one that really sticks out to me is sorcery. Because, I don't know, I don't know where that shows up today. But maybe your thing isn't sorcery. uh, But I identify with some of these other ones. Maybe your thing is jealousy. Maybe your thing is sexual immorality, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe your thing is fits of anger. Uh, I can self-identify with the fits of anger one. If you see a 2002 black Jetta with a wooden roof rack on top, uh, there might be someone in there who's generally driving angry, driving under the influence of anger. And that's because... Not everyone drives like me. I don't know if you guys get that, but, but you're driving around, and there's just people that are driving like idiots. And you're like, what are you doing? Why aren't you driving like me? Why doesn't everyone drive like me? And that's when I become angry, and my lovely wife's like, what are you being angry about? There's just people driving next to you. And I'm like, well, that's, that's the war inside of me. We're the fruit of the Spirit. There's gentleness. I've got a little bit of anger to expel. And, and for me, I kind of look at this, and I talk to people about this, and people talk to me about this. They're like, there, there are these things that I know I should do, and I, I kind of want to do, but then I just can't. Or there's this little sin that just, it won't die in my life. And like, yeah, that's the struggle. And it's extremely frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. But... Is it hopeless? No, it's not hopeless. It's not even close to being hopeless. And there's one reason. Because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. It's frustrating, yes, but is it hopeless? No. The same Holy Spirit that that rose Christ from the dead resides in you. And there is more power there than I think we know what to do with. There's a uh, guy named Philip Melanchthon. He lived about 500 years ago. And and, in speaking about this verse, he said this following quote. He said, The Holy Spirit contends with the desires in our hearts, flesh and its desires, spirit, in order to restrain and mortify them. 
and in order to implant new spiritual impulses. It says, I'm going to restrain and mortify, push the evil desires down. The desires that we were born with because we're born sinful, I'm going to put those down. And in its place, the Holy Spirit generates spiritual impulses inside of us. There's a, one of Philip's colleagues, was named Martin, and his last name was Luther, and some of you know him. And he had kind of a practice that he did to remind himself of this kind of reality, this flesh and spirit reality that we live in. And he said, whenever you guys get up, I want you to get out of bed and make the sign of the cross on you. And when I say that, some people are like, uh, that's a Catholic thing, and I don't do that. And then other people are like, I grew up doing that, and I have no cl- idea why. Martin said, hey, wake up. Make the sign of the cross. And when you do that, be reminded of your baptism. Be reminded of who lives inside of you, of the Holy Spirit. And remind yourself again, he's like, flesh died, and a new spirit was inserted. Or going back to our six-word story, Die to flesh and live by the Spirit. Die to flesh and live by the Spirit. Uh, I moved to Texas about July, so however many months ago that was. And I, what re kind of got me thinking about this was someone asked, I was talking to someone, and they're like, are you born again? And in my tribe, I don't really use that language that often. Um, and so I thought back, and I thought back to what Martin said, and I'm like, yes, every single day, because I daily get up, die to flesh, live by the Spirit. And in my life, and I think our lives, and how we navigate this life is every single day, you're born again, you die to the flesh, and you're raised in the Spirit. And you live by that spirit. That spirit puts us on a trajectory towards God. And you guys know what the spirit looks like. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love that. And there's a little unique thing in there that I really like about it. And to illustrate that, I want to tell you a story. I heard a pastor say this about 10 years ago. You guys might have heard this as well. But there's a a pastor talking to a youth group. It's not a big youth group. It's not a small youth group. It's about 15 to 20 people. And he goes in to give his youth group talk, and he's talking about this. And he's like, all right, everyone, I want to know something about you. Who here likes fruit? Some of the kids raise their hand. I like fruit. And he's like, okay, what's your favorite type of fruit? And some kid's like, I love bananas. And some kid's like, I love grapes. And some guy's like, oranges are my favorite. And then one little girl says, I love apples. He's like, oh, that's my favorite too. And so he's like, okay, now for all of you, what is your favorite kind of apple? And somebody's like, oh, gala apples, they're the best. One person that likes the tart ones like, I like the Granny Smiths. They're the best. The correct person in the room said, there's two kinds that are the best, pastor. There are the Fuji apples and the Honeycrisp apples. And that, by the way, is the correct choice. 
And he said, great, that's what I like too. And he said, where do you guys get your apples? And it was kind of this community that was kind of rural, but kind of suburban. And so one of the kids who lived in the rural areas is like, well, I just go outside and pick an apple off the tree, wash it off, and eat it. And that's how I get my apples. One of the suburban kids said, uh, we go to the store, and there's a wide selection for us there, and we pick the apples there, and we put them in the cart, and we go home. And, he's, and the pastor kind of stands there, and he scratches his head, and he says, well, why don't you just make your own apples? I'm like, what? It's like, no, seriously, think about this. Why don't you just go outside, put your feet in the dirt, hold your arms out, and wait for it to rain, and grow your own apples? And the kids were like, this guy has lost it. He is gone. Why is he our pastor? It's like, seriously. And there was an astute young student there who said, Pastor, uh, I don't know if you know this, but you, you don't have the parts. We don't have the parts because I don't have chlorophyll and I, I need chlorophyll to do the photosynthesis thing for there to be an apple to grow right there. And he's like, exactly. You don't have the parts. And for us, we don't have the parts to generate these fruit of the Spirit, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control by ourselves. But the parts were given to us. Whenever you became a Christian or whenever you were baptized, the parts were given to you. When the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of you, he said, I'm going to contend and restrain and mortify that evil desire, and I'm going to put new spiritual impulses in you. I'm going to put the fruit of the Spirit inside of you. And when you go through life and you go through this, is it flesh or is it spirit? Uh, Paul wants to remind us in verse 24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I have a study version of the Bible, and that's what we kind of generally read from. And then I have like a devotional version of the Bible that I read. And I looked it up yesterday morning, and it said this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their flesh to his cross and crucified them there. So if you're living in that frustrating cycle and you're like, this sin just won't die. He says, that sin comes to my cross and gets crucified there as well. And tomorrow I will do it again and I will remake you. It says, you die to flesh, and you live by the Spirit, prompted by the Spirit. And so, as we, as a church, when we go out and live our life, we look at verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. So, if you are seeing those fruit kind of pop up in your life, celebrate that. Don't get bashful. That's the Holy Spirit working inside of you. Or if you're in your family or in your small group or, or somebody you're coming in contact with and you see, oh, there's a little more patience there where there were fits of anger, celebrate that. Say, I see what God's doing in your life. Keep going with that. This is how we're meant to live together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. It's that Spirit that really drives us, that moves us forward. 
that fights off our sinful nature and gives us new life. And we thank you for that. We thank you for fighting for us because we can't do it by ourselves. We weren't ever meant to do it by ourselves, and we know that our true hope is in you. And we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others, and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.